All right, good morning, everyone. I'm back. <laughs> good morning. Uh, it certainly is a blessing to be here in the house of God, um, to be able to lead us today in the next message in our series. I'm certainly thankful to be present. <laughs> the last time I preached, uh, which was about a few weeks ago, uh, unfortunately, I couldn't do it in person because of COVID. And uh, I really thought that COVID may impact my ability to be here today. Thankfully, God had a better plan, and I'm here present with today's message, and I'm very thankful. And I have a question, church. Who here knows what book we're in? Oh, man, it's not even a trick question anymore. <laughs> That's right. We're in the book of John. <clears throat> and what we're doing is, as a, as a ministry team, we're taking an expositional look that is walking us through every chapter and every verse of the Gospel of John so that we can take John's testimony of Jesus and make it our testimony to minister to a world that's in such desperate need. So we're continuing in our series looking at John and we're, we're coming to the end of chapter four. Today's message is gonna take us through the end of chapter four and for me, it's a very exciting section of scripture. I think you'll agree when we get through this. But before I get into the message, what I would like to do right now is I would like to encourage any of you if, you, if you've missed a message in this series, all the messages are recorded and they're posted online. If you've missed a message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message for two reasons. The first reason is that you will be encouraged. Every message in this series is meant to encourage and give us hope. But the second reason is that it will keep you current. It will keep your understanding current in this gospel journey we're taking. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 4. I love to have my Bible with me and I love to reference my Bible, but if you don't have one, you can follow along via the screen we have up here. And the verses that we're going to be looking at in John 4 are verses 43 through 54. So if you have your Bibles or you're following along up front, the verses read as follows. After the two days, he left for Galilee <clears throat> now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there, or they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus had performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. <clears throat> now, in breaking down these scriptures, church, it's important for us to set the scene. 
Jesus and his mission, they're ramping up. Along with his apostles and followers, they're on the move. And Jesus, and the scripture opens with them now in a place called Galilee. And we're starting today with Jesus in Galilee after spending two days in Samaria. Now in Galilee, it says in verse 45, the people welcomed Jesus. And this is an important place to stop and think. Why were they welcoming why were they? Why would they welcome Jesus? Why does John highlight this? It's an interesting point to make note of. Because what other types of welcomes had Jesus and his apostles received to this point, along their travels to this point? Now, this is where verse 44 enters. And it's what seems like an odd, out-of-place statement. It's between verses 43 and 45. It's verse 44, and I know, you're thinking, Captain Obvious moment, right? Of course, Sean, that's how numbers work. They're sequential. (laughs) But we have verse 44, and it seems like an interruption in the story that's being told because that's what it is. It's an odd, out-of-place statement that's in brackets, which means it's a side note, or as Braden likes to call, a sidebar. (laughs) We have a sidebar here that gets injected into the story, and it's a line that's found in two other Gospels. It's a line that Jesus says in two other gospels we find in the New Testament. Jesus points out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So if we're looking at a map from Jesus' day, he is on the West Bank. This is the area of Judea that he's on. So the West Bank is that area closest to the water. He's in Judea. He's making his journey up to Galilee, and he specifically goes to a place called Galilee, or Cana in Galilee, and that's a distance of about 70 miles, 70 miles on foot, and that, looking at how long it would take, it would probably take an average of about two and a half days, give or take for Jesus because of the amount of people he had with him, but we're potentially looking at a two and a half day journey, and when he gets there, John reminds us of what Jesus said about prophets in their hometown, and I wonder why. They travel two and a half days without any recorded problems. So why do we have these highlights that John makes in verses 44 and 45? The answer is so important because I believe it sets the tone for what happens next in the text. But it also sets the tone for the encouragement we can get from them. BibleReference.com says this commentary about those verses. It says, Jesus is returning to the region of Galilee but not to his local hometown of Nazareth. Verse 46 says that Jesus returned to the town of Cana where he had performed his first miracle, which was found in John chapter 2, verse 11. Nazareth, is, however, is closer to a place called Sachar than it is Cana. So this means Jesus would have passed right by. Jesus, on his journey passes right by his hometown. And you would think, why would he do that? You would, you would be thinking there would be all kinds of people where Jesus comes from that would be dying to see him. I mean, Jesus' fame is growing. He's becoming famous and he's putting his hometown on the map. I don't know about you, but I've traveled to a lot of places. And one of the things that I've seen in my travels is you always see these signs as you enter a town. This is Cole Harbor, welcome to the town of. And I say Cole Harbor, and you guys probably all know who comes from there. Sydney! 
Hockey reference, that's right. Sidney Crosby, that's the hometown he's from. And I remember when we went there for a baseball tournament, seeing the big sign celebrating Sydney. But when it comes to Jesus, this isn't the case at all. So it puts John's remarks that he makes in verses 44 and 45 into context. It brings them into context. Because the people there have no particular interest in Jesus at all. They don't have an interest in hearing what he's saying. They're not concerned about who he is. And they're not concerned about what he's doing. And there are reasons for that. But that is, those reasons are, are for a message for another day. For us, as it says in verse 46, he's at a place where he performed his first miracle, and that was the miracle of turning water into wine. Cana knows everything that Jesus has done, and they're super thrilled to see him. They welcome him. They are glad. And what we're about to learn is these people are going to see a whole lot more. And this brings forth three points for us to dial into this morning. The section of scripture we're going to get into now has three points that we need to press into our hearts for today. And the first one is that God knows and wants what's best for you. God knows and he wants what's best for you. But as I had prayed earlier, I'm not here to preach a prosperity gospel. When I say God knows and wants what's best for you, I'm not saying that you're going to have your best life now. I'm not going to say that hardship is going to be far from you and you won't experience any pain. We know this isn't true. Paul reminds us in the New Testament scriptures that we can expect it. And if we're Christian, we can expect it all the more. We just don't know where it's going to come from. We don't know when it's going to be arrive and we don't know how it's going to manifest. But rest assured, it will come. But because God knows what's best for our life and he wants what's best for our life, we can have hope and encouragement. And I want you to hang on to that word life as we get into this. Because once Jesus arrives in Cana, he's not there very long before a royal official shows up. A royal official, the second he hears Jesus is in the town of Cana, he puts his shoes on and he gets moving. Looking at the scripture, again, in John chapter 4, verses 46 through 47, it says... And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Now John notes this man's title. And it's believed that this royal official was a member of the court of the ruler of that day who was Herod the Tetrarch, an evil man. It's believed he was tied to his court somehow. And just to give you an idea, this man is coming from Capernaum to Cana. So this is another journey that is being referenced, and it's a journey of about 25 miles. So this man, the second he hears that Jesus is in Cana, starts to progress and make his way toward Galilee. Or once he hears he's in Cana, that's where he makes his way, and it's about 25 miles the people from Jesus' hometown won't go across the street to see him. And this man, the second he hears that Jesus has arrived, he goes 25 miles. And why does he make that trek, church? Because his son is dying. I want you to remember and recall that it it probably took about two and a half days for Jesus and his followers to go from, from, um, from Judea to Galilee And this man's going from Capernaum to Galilee. It's about 25 miles. So it could very well have taken him a day. 
But I have a feeling that it didn't take him that long to get there at all, and, and we're going to get into that. Because the fame of Jesus is growing, what he is doing and who he's believed to be is spreading. And as verse 47 says, when he gets to Jesus, he begs Jesus to heal his son. Save my son. And I don't think it's anything that any good parent wouldn't do. I mean, how far would you go if, you're, if your child was sick? How fast would you move if you had a child in need? I know how fast and how far I would go. And when thinking of this, I'm taken back to a couple, I'm taken back to some of the experiences that I've had on some of the missions trips that I've been on. I've experienced some incredible things in the different places in the world I've been to share the gospel for Jesus. And one thing has stood out for me. It was, it was something that I heard from a, a leader of a youth outreach center in Inglewood, Chicago. I've been to Chicago a few times for missions work. And the second time I was there, I found myself at this youth outreach center where I was talking to one of the leaders. And if you're familiar with Inglewood, Chicago, and you know your American history a little bit, there was a point in time where that place was the murder capital of the U.S. It was the murder capital of the U.S., and this is where we are ministering for Jesus. I remember when we went to this community, we were told you can't wear red and you can't wear blue because they're gang colors and you could get injured. And this is where we were. And this is what this leader said to me. She said, and it never left my heart, with gang violence on the rise, and it's the same thing, I'll say, that I heard in Guatemala. I've been to Guatemala a few times, and I've heard this same thing. When gang violence is rampant, their center was relatively safe. If something was to go down, the gang leaders would often call her to let her know to get the children down and to get them safe. It's, it's as if she knew... She continued that the gangs, they may have no issue killing each other, but they certainly want what's best for their kids because they love their kids. Those parents want, I mean, they know what's best for their kids and it wasn't the life that they're living. If there were people coming into their community to feed, to clothe, and to educate their kids and doing it all for the gospel of Jesus, they were welcomed. They were welcomed. They were glad we were there. I mean, I remember when I first arrived there, um, we, a bunch of white people pulling up a bu- in a bus, driving into a black community. We were welcomed. But when we first got there, I remember a car pulls up. And it's like, uh, it's like straight out of the scene from the movie um, Boys in the Hood. This, this car pulls up, the windows are all jet black tinted, and the guy rolls his window down, the driver rolls his window down just far enough to stick a pistol out. And I'm just frozen. And he looks at me and he says, what are you doing here? Looks me right in the eye and he says, what are you doing here? And, and I'm, I'm kind of frozen. I could, I could hardly get a word out. And I, I, I need you guys to hear, the, the, hear this church. There are times where I get afraid too. And I was afraid. I was struggling to find a word. And one of the leaders that I was with jumps right in and he says, we're here for Jesus. We're here to minister the gospel to this community for Jesus. And the guy looks at him and then he looks at me and he says, Good. We're glad you're here for our kids. He rolls up the window, he pulls out, and I start looking for a clean pair of shorts. (laughs) Because I was worried. You see, church, most parents, even when they don't realize it, they want the same thing that God wants for their kids. Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13 says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish... 
we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We want what's best for our kids. And God is no different. He knows and he wants what's best for you. But like I said, this is not a prosperity gospel. He wants and knows what is best for your life, what you need most for your life, your true and your eternal life. Like this father in our passage wanting to save his son, our father in heaven wants to save us through Jesus Christ and his living gospel. Because God, church, is pro-life. I want you to hear that in our culture today. God is pro-life. He's pro-life both physically and he's pro-life both eternally. He's interested and passionate about our eternal life. And it's this passion that enables us. It's in this passion that he gives us. He gifts us a gift that enables us to experience this life that he has for us in its fullness. And this is the second point that I want to dial into from our text today. Reading verses 48 through 50, it says this. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down my ch- before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and he departed. And this section starts with what appears to be a critique for the royal official and the people that are around him, this critique that they, they'll only ever believe if they see signs and wonders. And this isn't at all something foreign. It's not like it's nothing we have never heard before. I mean, we've all heard that saying, seeing is believing, right? And I can't tell you how many times in ministry over the years I've heard people tell me, Sean, if, if God would just do that, if God would just reveal himself in this, I would believe. But I, in Jesus saying this to this man, I don't believe this critique is specifically for him as much as it is for everyone who's present. Everybody who is witnessing this man pleading and ple- breaking or pouring out his heart to Jesus, I believe this critique is more than just for the royal official, it's for everyone. And it may very well be for us today as well. Why do I say this, church? One of the characteristics that, that is God is that he's omniscient. So if God is omniscient, that, that means he is all-knowing, right? So that means that God knows everything that was. He knows everything that is, and he knows everything that is to come. Because he's God. He's the creator of everything. And for us in Christ, we know that Jesus is God, right? Right. Amen. He knows. So in saying that, he knows the distance this man's traveled to see him, and he knows why. The man, living, the man is living and moving in faith. And this is our key. This is our gift. The man is living and moving in faith that is demonstrated two times. In his, meeting with, in his meeting with Jesus, this man meets Jesus and he, he demonstrates faith twice. Jesus knows this and it's a testimony for us today. The faith it took for the official to go to Jesus. I want to zero in on that for a second. Let's think about that. This royal official, 
the faith it took for him to leave his son, go 25 miles. Now think about that. When someone in your home is sick, or when someone you know is sick or needs help, what do you do? Very rarely would you ever leave them there. You're not leaving them there. You're packing them up. You're getting them to the hospital as fast as you can or finding someone who can get them to the hospital. We have infrastructure set up that enables us to get our people to the places where the help is as fast as possible. But that man does not have access to those resources. His, man, his son is sick and dying, and he leaves them there. And he leaves them there for a good reason, I think. Because he knows that if he, if he makes this 25-mile journey with his son, he's going to need resources, he's going to need servants, because his son is sick and dying. He's not going to be able to move quickly and carry his son along the way. His son would most likely die in the travel. He knows he can get to Jesus a lot faster on his own. And he goes on his own. And I believe he made that trek pretty quick. I believe he made that trek pretty quick. And in faith, Jesus, knowing this, says to the man, this is his response, your son will live. Your son will live. Jesus sees his faith. He knows what this man has done and is demonstrating. And he doesn't have this long conversation with him about, you know, what he's doing, why he's doing it. He just says, your son will live. And then in faith again, the man takes Jesus at his word. I don't know if he has time to do anything else. I imagine his, son, his heart was sick. His stomach was sick, leaving his son to make this journey. But he takes Jesus at his word, and he starts heading back for home. The potential of another day's journey. And you know, church, when I was, when I was putting these thoughts on paper, there was, a, there was just something that I felt the Holy Spirit pressing in on my heart. It's something that I feel we really need to say more often when we are at places like funerals where we see the passing of our brothers and sisters, when we see our mothers and fathers, when we see our friends and the people we know who are Christian and they pass on. I feel this is something that we need to say to them and the people that are there in these times. We need to say that they're going to live. This is a message of encouragement that we can give to these people when they are going through these hardships. Your son or daughter is going to live. Your mother or father, your friend, your coworker, they're going to live because Jesus lives. God-given faith in Christ has secured that for them, and it's our God-given faith in our God-given faith that God has gifted us as believers that we can also depart those settings with the same kind of faith that Paul preached to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, when he said, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith, not by sight. Because it's faith that gets us walking. It's faith in Christ alone that gets us moving. And it's this faith that sets us up. It sets the stage for what we see next in the final point that I want to cover for us this morning. Our scriptures from today continue in Mark chapter 4. Chapter 4 actually finishes with verses 51 through 54, and they read this. They read like this. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with news that his boy was living. 
When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one o'clock, one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time which Jesus said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So the official again is walking in faith. And while on his way, he's walking home, his servants meet him. He encounters his servants and they're bringing this message, this good news that his son is alive. You can imagine the angst this man may have seen or had when he saw his servants coming. I can imagine that he ran as fast as he could to his servants like he ran as fast as he could to Jesus, wondering and hoping. And they come with this message that his son is alive. And I want to stop here because the role of a servant church is to serve. The role of a servant is to do the will of their master and their master wasn't at home. So they don't have permission. But I believe they're hastily making their way to where he is because of what they know and what they've experienced. So remember church, this this journey from Capernaum to Cana is 25 miles. It's about a day and his officials are now making, or not his officials, his servants are now making this journey. And I'm wondering what's motivating them. I'm pretty sure we know the answer, but I want us to entertain a thought. We know why the royal official made his journey to Jesus and there's no reason for us to believe that the servants wouldn't have known that reason themselves. Because I'm confident that those servants were left behind with the task of either looking after the son or helping those who were looking after him to prolong his life so that his father could accomplish the mission he had. But when they meet the official, they're meeting him with great news. They're carrying a great news that their official, the official's son is no longer dying, he's no longer sick. It's a message of joy and I'm sure utter amazement. It's one of those moments in life or in scripture that you're just like, man, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall to see that because I'm sure it would have been incredible. The father wanting to validate his faith, he asks when, he get, when they get to him, he wants to validate his faith so that, so that he can be as sure of what he's believing. He asks the servants, when did the boy get better? And he's told the exact time. And this exact time just happens to correlate, it happens to coincide with the exact time that Jesus said, your son will live. He's going to live. And it's at that moment when he hears those words, what happens next is the hope of every evangelist. It's the hope of every disciple maker. Because salvation comes to this man's home, and not just to him, it comes to his entire, ho- entire household. You see, what started with a word, it started with a word. And then the gospel seed was scattered over this man's soil. And it resulted in the officials, the official, it, it resulted in this godly gift for the official. And then it resulted in this godly gift of faith for the family, the servants, and for his entire household. And they were all saved. They were all saved. And what did they believe? What was it that they believed? Was it that they just believed that Jesus had the power to heal the sick or raise the dead or do all these things? What did they believe? As the lyrics of one of my favorite new Christian songs, because I love 
Christian music, and it's, it just, the word just keeps getting ministered through it. One of my favorite bands is for King and Country, and one of the songs of, uh, or one of the, the lyrics of one of, of their songs, which happens to be one of my favorites now, it goes like this, can you feel your heart begin to race? Can you see the tide begin to change? With all our futures rearranged, the world will never be the same, for God is with us. God is with us, church. And this is the final point that I want to really press into our heart this morning. Your heart, and I want it pressed into mine. God is with us. Isaiah 7, 14, famous Christmas verse. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This was revel revelation revealed for this official, and it, it impacted. This revelation impacted his entire household, and that's what he believed. God was present, and as Braden preached a few weeks ago, when we draw near to God, what does he do? He, draw near, he draws near to us. God is close to us. God was present with them. He was present in the manifest form of Jesus Christ. And he was demonstrating his power in Jesus Christ. And he's present with us today, even now, in our midst, in our own being, in our very being. Because we're not orphans, church. We're not orphans. And this is a hard part of the message for me to preach because there was a time in my life where I felt like an orphan. There was a time in my life where I felt like I, I didn't belong or, or that I wasn't supposed to be here because at the age of 29, I, I was able to find and, and meet my biological dad for the first time. It was a crazy story. I lived my whole life without knowing my biological dad. And when I found him and when we were able to reunite, it was, really, it was, pretty, it was a pretty crazy scene, but it ended in a, a great reunion that resulted in my extended family or my immediate family being extended by six members because I was welcomed. I was welcomed. But on my way home after that first visit, this under, unexpected feeling just completely overwhelmed me. It completely gripped me. And, you know, in, coming, in trying to come to grips with this, this trip my family had taken to meet to my, my wife and my kids to meet this new family that I had discovered... All that I had gone through in the lead up to making that trip and everything I had learned when I was there, this feeling of not belonging or I'm, I wasn't supposed to be here just overwhelmed me and I, and I, I, I felt like I was mistaken and, and I was just really struggling and I, I, I remember I'm driving on the 401 and I'm somewhere between Quebec and New Brunswick and, and I actually had to pull the car over. I was crying so hard. I, I couldn't, control my, couldn't control how hard I was crying and my, my wife's like, jeepers, Sean, we're on the highway and so I, I pulled the car over <clears throat> just to try and get a hold of myself. Um, Mitchell, Mitchell wasn't even born yet. He was still in Krista's belly, and, and my daughter was three years old, and she's in the back seat scared, wondering why Dad's crying when we're going 130, and he's the driver, you know. But I had called my dad in Ottawa, and I'm pouring my wife out, or pouring my wife out. <laughs> I'm pouring my heart out to my wife in the car, and, and they both start taking the time to share the truths that, of, of, that we're learning today in our message. Sharing these same truths to me at 29 years of age that we're learning today from this section of scripture. This, 
this truth that I'm here because of God. We're here because of God, God's goodness. And I'm alive in Christ and moving forward in the Holy Spirit because of God. And as a Christian, that is the same truth and claim for you. Because I've been gifted this gift of faith. And I've been gifted a testimony that saved me and it saved the members of my own house. And it has the power to save the members of your house if you make it that visible, passionate, audible testimony of your life. Encouraging his followers, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. As those of Jesus' time understood, God was present in their midst. In the, in, in the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, I say again, he's in our presence today. We've heard it throughout this service. He's not going anywhere, church. God isn't going anywhere. Amen? Amen. He can't go anywhere. We need him. Yeah. It's what they believed then, and it's what we believe now. And as I bring this message to a close, and, and as the band starts to come forward, if, if, if it's time for them to make their way to the stage, I just want to take this time to recap, a, recap the key points of our message today because they're so important. I want you to hear my heart in this when I say this, church. There is a difference. There is an absolute difference in what is experienced in this life. And there's also a difference in what we experience in our eternal life for those who accept Jesus and those who reject him. There is a noticed, marked difference. And the first point that I want to highlight for our reminder is that God hears our requests. He hears our prayers, but like a good father, he's passionate about what we need most. Remember that, church. He is passionate about a relationship with you that will result and, and lead to an eternal life that starts the day you come into fellowship with him. Not when you die, it starts today. Your eternal life starts today and you just transition to that time where you'll be with Jesus, a time that I look forward in my own life. As it ends, as, that, as the verse 19 ends in John 14, it says this, because I live, you will also live. And when Jesus talks about life, he's talking about life eternal. And that is hope for us. The second point I want to highlight that we went over today is faith. And faith's power to get you moving. It's a God-given faith. You can't manufacture it. It's not found under a rock or bought in a store. It's given. And when you have this faith, it has the power to result in belief. And God, who knows what we need and is interested in our best, gives us this faith abundantly when we ask. The third thing I want to I point out is as a reminder that God is with us. I can't, I've been singing it all the time because I've been listening to this song over and over. But I want to say it all the time too. God is with us. He's always been with us. And if you're feeling faith stirring in you now to believe, I would ask that you would pray for God to finish that work in you so that you go from faith to belief and then from belief to eternal life. That is my prayer. And the last thing I want to remind us of, and this is a very important point, because a lot of churches, sadly, don't go into depth on this. The depth that needs to be gone into so that people understand the fullness 
of the gospel. And it's that Jesus bypassed his own hometown. Jesus didn't stop to meet the people from his own hometown. They didn't accept him, so he rejected them. He rejected them and he passed right by them. And it's a, tr- it's a truth for us to take hold of in our heart because we're going to hear more about this and we're going to learn more about this and what it means for the non-believer as, it, as much as it means for the believer as we continue in this gospel journey. For now, those, for us as believers, those who profess Christ here today, Jesus will profess you in the presence of his Father. And that's where we will stay. That is our hope. Our place with our Father in Christ in heaven. So the signs and wonders that Jesus performed for the official son. The, the, the text ends indicating that this was only the second sign that Jesus, Jesus performed while he was in that area. It was only the second sign. But there's going to be more. As we get into these next chapters in our, in our series, we're going to hear more and more about what Jesus is doing so that we can know he is God. You see, the signs that he performed were the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture, Old Testament prophecy, so that those people would know who he was and what he was there to do in those same miracles, those same prophetic revelations are for us today to know who he was and who he needs to be in our life. That's their purpose. And as scripture says, and as Braden has said before, To know Jesus and to know God is to have eternal life. And that is what we seek. In our text today, that's what God in Christ wanted us to know. That in your hardship, in your worst moment, life can be found in him. And I want you to know that. I think God wants us to know that today. Is that he is with us. He wants what's best for us because he knows what's best for us. And it's our eternal best. And I want to leave that with you today. God bless you. I'm thankful to be here. And um, I look forward to being here again. Amen. Amen.